this, narrator advises that the listener digest the following as entertainment. The showrunners behind it are neither six-figure filmmakers nor professional critics. They are... Casually Critical. And welcome to Casually Critical, the podcast show starring two pals who love to talk about storytelling. I am your host, James Newton. And I'm Daniel Carpenter, your co-host. In Enchanted, the movie that we're talking about today, it's about an animated Disney princess that goes on quite the journey as she uh, crosses over into the real world where a few things are questioned, including her naive childhood innocence. And... Going off innocence, there is an innocence that people tend to have when they don't know about a movie's spoilers, and I would hate for you to lose that prematurely. So just so you know, we're playing it safe, we're going to have fun, we're going to have a few laughs, but eventually we will turn dark, grim, and serious, and there will be no happily ever after when we get into our spoiler review, which we will give you a heads up on when that time arrives. But James... We've reviewed a lot of modern Disney entertainment recently, and there's been quite an air of pessimism about much of our discourse about it. We thoroughly roasted Frozen. We did thoroughly praise uh, Encanto. And we've talked off the air about various modern Disney animations that really pale in comparison. But this is kind of our first slice at a unique era in Disney history because this was before they really started revving up their animation game again with Tangled and The Princess and the Frog. But this is a live action venture and it's from 2007. So what are your thoughts on Enchanted? I think it's their first foray into making live action Disney movies as their front runners. Mm. And I think it's a great first step. I think if, if I was watching this movie at this age, and with what I know in 2007, I would say, wow, can't wait for the next Disney live action production. Uh, because I had a lot of fun watching this movie for the first time. And I, I have a lot of great things to say about it. There are a couple of convolutions and storytelling uh, weaknesses that are common in these sorts of fairy tale meets reality sort of situations. But I will say, if I compare it to Alvin and the Chipmunks or the Smurfs or any of those like, oh, a weird out-of-the-world character shows up in New York and normally um, James Marsden is there looking at you, Sonic the Hedgehogs 1 and 2. <laughs> uh, this one handles things quite well. What are your initial thoughts on Enchanted, Daniel? Whatever issues you and I have with Disney as it is right now in all of its filmic endeavors, be it live action or animated, I think this really showcases the best and worst, the worst of that as well. It's whimsical. And I will say this, this is something that I think makes it so much better than a lot of modern Disney movies today. It feels unencumbered by over-the-top messaging. I think there are some themes that play throughout that are really strong. And I think the premise is actually a really clever one with some inherent weaknesses. Um, the premise being, as I mentioned to you earlier, there's two worlds. There's a 2D animated fairy tale world where it's very traditional, very classic, very reminiscent of earlier Disney styles. Can it be reminiscent if it's actually Disney doing it? I guess not. It's an actual Disney styled 2D animation. And then there's the real world. And I walked into this thinking, okay, first problem I can sniff right away is Daniel wants to be in the animated world the whole time. I don't want to be stuck in boring New York City where there's boring real life characters. And they do some things to mitigate that. Uh, the, the guy that uh, Giselle, the main character played by Amy Adams, in a very un-nuanced role, but still well done nonetheless. It's weird yeah. to go from watching um, 
arrival to this. Oh yeah. But <laughs> but it's great. She does really well. I think she she's does. the perfect casting for it. She does. She does a great job. Um she encounters Robert Phillip, the most bland man name ever, but he's played by Patrick Dempsey and uh the one thing they did that spiced it up. And again, this isn't a spoiler. You learn this first thing in the movie is he's actually a divorce lawyer. And I thought, "Oh my gosh, how clever." Cuz I thought and they do fall into this a little bit, but it is a typical Disney genre. It, it's a Disney staple, a typical Disney staple to have the man especially play this suit and tie job where they're trapped in a cubicle and they're either a lawyer or an accountant that does miscellaneous stuff. They crunch numbers. They're, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but there's really no creativity with any of that. What if he was a garbage man? I think that would be interesting. But instead they said, man, let's take the most deliciously ironic, soul-crushing <laughs> job and give it to this guy who's just so done with love and fairy tales and says, nope, life is terrible and I hate love in general. And I, I don't think love actually works. And here comes Giselle, who is nothing like that. And they rub off on each other in surprisingly human ways. So I think in terms of the broad strokes, I think this film does better than most Disney movies tend to do. And it surprised me in many ways. And without getting too much into it, it surprised me in very uh, underwhelming ways. Some typical Disney things, especially towards the end, which we'll get into in a moment, that really felt uh, tried. And I can't tell if it was tried back in 2007 or if it's just that since this movie... Disney has done all these things and done them to death with the um, the roles of Amy Adams and Patrick Dempsey in this movie it really feels like Disney decided to take the contrast sliders of this film and just crank them up to like a 12 or 13 out of 10 and say like how can we make this the most impossible thing which I think any any Hallmark moviegoer would know is very important for a love story. Um, you got to set it up to where it seems impossible that he and she will wind up together. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of interesting and fun obstacles along the way. And all of the um, sort of side plots are pretty amusing. And a lot of things don't make sense. And that's okay in my mind because this is a Disney movie making fun of Disney movies. So we're already just kind of way out there in outer space, just like in this weird uncharted territory that honestly, I just don't arch an eyebrow whenever something either super wild happens or something super typical of Disney happens because they can play it both ways. They can say, oh, is this ironic commentary on previous Disney movies, i.e. Snow White uh, <laughs> or the, um, I almost said the Princess Bride or Cinderella, or The Sleeping Beauty? Or are we actually leaning into those typical themes to make another princess movie and not do it, you know, not do it in an untasteful way? They, they certainly play it both ways, and sometimes it gets a little confusing, but for the most of the time, for most of the time, pardon me, it's really enjoyable. So Yeah. What do you think yeah. about all the other characters, though, Daniel? We've already talked about Amy Adams and Robert Phillip. Yeah, I actually think the side characters had a more compelling plot throughout, and I don't want to—I don't want to get into that much here. But the choices they made with some of them and the direction they went, I was very pleasantly surprised, and I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. They added depth in very clever and funny and tasteful ways that humanize them without dismissing them completely. We're not punished as some other modern movies are. We're not punished for loving traditional fairy tales. We're just challenged a little bit, a little bit in, in yeah. some ways. Disney doesn't completely say, oh, you like this crap? Like shame on you. I guess you're a shallow person. They say, no, like people come to Disney expecting princesses and fairy tales and we'll give you that. But, this is going to be very different in a few ways. 
But those are ways that don't compromise the story. And these characters do a fantastic job. These actors do an amazing job, not just with the voice acting, but with the live action performances. And that's hard to find, you know, acting with your voice and then with your body and mannerisms throughout is, it's really fun. That was another delightful touch. Um, as, as I was halfway through this movie, watching it with Sarah, I said aloud to her who had seen it before. I said, wow, how did they make the actors look so close to the animated counterparts? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, they probably picked the actors first. <laughs> and then they based the animated characters off of them. But I will say Disney really did a great job of stylizing those complicated actors and their faces and their mannerisms and still kind of fit them into those typical Disney story plots. You know, the bumbling sidekick, the evil queen, um, the magical princess, the prince charming that's a little dim. Um, it's, it's all really, oh, and, and of course the, um, the smart talking animal sidekick, of course, but that's all, um, that's all here and it's all, uh, turned upside down when, when they all go to New York. So it's, it's yeah. interesting. James, I, I, I need to know because this is just too delicious of an opportunity. This is the first live action slash animation hybrid we've reviewed, I believe on our show. And so I can't help but, you know, ask. As an anima animation buff and as uh, someone that has an eye for these things, how does the animation do? I think it's great. I mean, it's not remarkable, but I do think it's it's quite good. I, I enjoy the character designs. I think they they stick to the old standby conventions of Disney tropes, like I said before, and the character designs complement those as they always have. Um, but they do this really nice colored line look that you don't get in every Disney movie. Some of them... Uh, have black lines, but these are colored lines, which takes so much more time. Mm. But they really wanted to put all their elbow grease into those brief animated scenes that do exist in the movie. Um, but yeah, nothing remarkable, nothing, no crazy camera work or anything going on with these 2D animated scenes. And there's no integration. Um, I don't know if that's a spoiler or not, but there's no integration between 2D animated characters and real life environments. So this isn't like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit situation yeah. where it's like crazy wild like how are they making you know donald duck play a real piano mm. um but it's it's fun it's it's well-crafted animation for sure and it's it does everything it can to remind you of previous disney products which i can't tell once again is tongue-in-cheek or is a genuine marketing effort <laughs> so i'm still scratching my head on that so before we head over into our super spooky spoiler territory out of five stars, James, how would you rate this? I'm giving Disney's 2007 Enchanted starring Amy Adams a 3.5 out of five. How about you? Wow. I, hmm, I am not giving it that rating. I think that's too high. I would give oh. it, I would give it two and a half stars. Wow, a whole star difference. Yeah. I know, that's, that's rare. That's only happened, I think, one other time, at least on this season thus far. Yeah. Um, this is just not my type of film. Uh, it's too hallmarky for my liking, I, th I think, as you put it. Mm -hmm. What they do to breathe some new life into a very traditional and very uh, done-to-death genre, it's really well appreciated. But there are some characters and some plots that just don't work for me. I don't think there was as much depth that they could have mined from it as they did. I think they just kind of hit the surface and said, all right, we, we've done that. I think there's more that could have been done there, especially with, as I mentioned, the juicy coupling of a, d a divorced lawyer and this naive Disney princess. Yes, I do. I do agree. I think there was a lot of depth that could have been delved into more specifically on the theme of divorce. They just barely scraped the surface of that. Yeah. And the cynicism of the main male protagonist therein, it's it's really cool and it could have been done much better. I think my reason for giving it a whole star above your rating is because it's a really fun ride from start to beginning. Mm. Um that doesn't mean it's something I'm going to revisit super often, 
but it's something I've de I definitely laughed out loud at, and there were a couple parts where I wasn't surprised um, whenever something happened, but I was like, oh, okay, that's nice. Okay, he's going <laughs> to wind up. Okay, yeah, that's, yeah. that's clever yeah. in a very rom-com-y fantasy uh, princess movie way. Yes. I And the final thing I'll say is there is one thing they do at the ending that bothered me. Is it going to bother most people seeing this movie? Absolutely not. And if you're on the fence about watching this movie and you're listening to the non-spoilers, um, I would recommend you do. You're going to have a good time. You're not going to be disappointed. Just that, that's all I'll say. I don't know. No, I think gonna... I know exactly what you're talking about. And it did bother me for a second. But then I remembered, oh, yeah, this is a fantasy. We're playing with fantasy themes here, so it doesn't really matter. But that's fair. Oh, also music. We should highlight music briefly for a second. What did you think of the music? Not bad. Um, there's always something a bit. I don't know how to say this. Live action musicals. When the music isn't established up front, kind of comes out of nowhere. This movie does and doesn't do that. Because it's a musical at the beginning. She sings this song and her prince hears it and he sings back. And they sing together as a traditional romantic themed movie does. But then we switch over to live action. We don't have a lot of singing for a bit. And then we go back to it. And it feels off to me. Um, but that's just me. I have a crusty cold heart that doesn't <laughs> appreciate some movies like other people do. So it didn't. That bothered me, but the music itself was fine. It's not as bad as Playmobil the movie. And it's perfectly serviceable. Oof. Don't um, remind I don't think... me of Playmobil the movie. I I'd, I'd forgotten sorry. it was a musical until just now. <laughs> Shoot! Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Or uh, <laughs> or Moon Dance. Mm. Don't which... say that word on this podcast. I'm sorry. Someday we might have to. So yeah, I don't. Those are my scrambled thoughts. I don't really have anything concise other than it's music. Is it going to be yeah. Disney's greatest hits? No. Is it going to be played? In people's iPods and iPhones everywhere they go 24-7? No. They might be on there, but I don't think it's going to be their most listened to stuff. It's perfectly serviceable for this story. How about you, James? Uh, I would say mostly the same as you, except there is one song that I think emphasized what I wanted more from the musical. Hmm. Uh, it It plays in with some of the long-flowing legato uh, fantasy princess kind of song then also add some like new york spice to it and it's like huh. that's what i want to oh, yeah. see more of like this is this is what the whole movie should be um so that one part i really enjoyed uh the rest i yeah. agree kind of were just there and they did their job and i do so. think that one song you're referring to has a lot of effort put into it especially the choreography mm -hmm. and I'm starting to realize I think the reason they skipped out on some of the music, especially once she gets over into New York, is because they took all that budget and put it into animation. Ah, uh, I, I feel like that was the case. I'm not speaking for them, but I'm pretty yeah. sure that they would were be like, so okay. sad if that was true. I would say <laughs> skim on the animation at that point at that point, which yeah. is a weird thing for me to say. That, but that is strange. That is strange. You feeling okay? I don't know. My head's a little <laughs> warm, but it might just be because my office is warm. <laughs> well, perhaps that you're feeling warm and you listeners are ready. Let's warm you up and get into spoiler territory. Want to join the conversation? Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Casually Critical Podcast to get the inside scoop on future episodes. Feel free to message us on either platform to join in the casual correspondence or provide feedback on the show. Now it's time to dive into our spoiler review. So I want to talk about Patrick Dempsey for a second here. Oh, okay. Just a quick flyby. I said the casting was really good for this movie. Basically everybody in it, um, you know, the people that played Nathaniel, Prince Edward, Queen Nerissa, all of them were really great. I thought they were perfect fits for what they were doing. But Patrick Dempsey is just such a bland piece of paper. And I need your help, Daniel, telling mm. me and deciding if that was on purpose or if he was just really phoning it in. Because I could see it both ways, cranking mm. up the contrast to make Amy Adams' vibrant performance look even more vibrant, 
Or maybe Patrick Dempsey was really just like, all right, another paycheck. I'm a divorce <laughs> lawyer, so I don't have to put much into this. What do you think? I actually really liked his performance, but really hearing hearing your complaint, I think what I'm realizing is it was the right performance for the wrong movie. Oh. Every single person in this movie, every major player is a vibrant, enthusiastic personality. They're very vivacious, vivacious. They're full of life and energy, and it's because they're from a fairy tale world. But then you also have his character's daughter, which is young, but very expressive and very passionate. And she loves the idea of like, oh my gosh, a real life princess. I, I want to be like one. And she looks like a real person. Yeah. She's not like this button-nosed Hollywood doctored child either. She looks like a real right. child, which is very yeah. rare, especially for this time period. Exactly. And I actually really liked her character as I did the uh, animal companion. Quick, yeah. quick shout out. Uh, I can't even remember his name. I don't care to. Pip. Point is, oh. Yeah, Pip eh, was whatever. a good boy. Anyway, that one animal. Anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. No, I, I liked all the characters, but he does stick out. And I don't know. I, I guess I feel like his subdued performance tried to add a bit more groundedness to it. You know, Giselle's like, Robert, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's, I'm okay, yeah. And I, I can totally see how the director might have been going for something more subdued, hmm. but the story is working against that performance. And I, I like the idea. I think the personality difference between Giselle and Robert are very is very clear. The only problem is it's not very synergistic. It doesn't yeah. really work with each other. I think both their performances work. I just don't think they worked with each other. Now they worked enough. The story helped it along to where I wasn't necessarily opposed to them being together. Like I could see why Giselle was starting to warm up to him. Yeah. Again, romance really isn't romantic genres in and of themselves are not usually my thing. And we talked about that on our casual correspondence episode. But you're right. I, I do think looking back now, his performance did stand out in a not so good way. But I'm starting to wonder if perhaps that was more the fault of the story than it really was on the actor. Hmm. Yeah, I don't hmm. know. See, that, sure. that makes me. That makes me even more confused because, yeah, I don't know how to feel about it. Is it is it? bad his existence in the story or is it good because if he was like super fiery or like super like i don't know eeyore mm. sort of like down in the dumps kind of like would that would that ground us at all would that make this a believable new york setting he's a he's a divorce lawyer living in an apartment a single father living with his daughter mm. yeah here's Perhaps I can transition into another topic that is somewhat related problematically with this. Okay. And that is the obvious problem, which I mentioned in our non-spoiler review, which is if you're going to have a plot where there's this magical, beautiful fantasy world and the fantasy world comes over to our world, that plot, if you were to pitch it to me, implicitly bores me because I'm just sitting here thinking, okay, the real world is going to be grounded and it's going to be terrible. The whole point of fantasy, the whole point is that fantasy is magical and beautiful in a way that our modern world isn't. It's escapism, but it's escapism with a point. When I'm watching Lord of the Rings, I don't want Frodo and Sam and Gandalf to awkwardly stumble through a portal into New York City. Or the hmm. fields of Indiana, you know? All due respect to Indiana. I love you guys. I... We no, went it's to corn, college man. there. It's corn. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just boring, you know? And you'll have the awkward fish out of water thing where Gandalf's like, do you have a bird I can ride on? And then the coffee shop barista's like, look, man, I'm a coffee shop barista. Do you want coffee? Yes. How many gold coins? 17. 17? What are the prices around here? You know, it's, it's just cookie cutter. I can write the humor for it. It's like, ha ha, hoo hoo, hee hee, modern society commentary but it's by fantasy characters. And then any character you have in a modern setting is going to be incredibly boring compared to these fleshed out, more colorful 
fantasy characters. So what you're hinting at, James, I totally agree. And what I would have loved to do had I the ability to rewrite this is I would have made Robert Phillip uh, drastically more hyperbolized, hmm. but in a different way. I think there's, I think what still would have worked is upping the sadness and the overworkedness of our regular world to match the hyped up happiness and naivety of the fairy tale world, the simplicity of it. So making making New York City an even darker, scarier place. Yeah, and they tried, they did that when she first arrives in New York. There's opposition all around her, homeless Shout guy Shout out to stealing. the homeless man that slowly <laughs> runs away. I laughed so much. I just, I would have hyperbolized it a little bit. I think there's a way to do that tastefully. The biggest fear I had, as I mentioned several times already, is that the real world would be boring. And in some ways, I was proven wrong. And in a lot of ways, I was actually proven right. And even though I like the broad strokes of this story, scene by scene, there's a few things that just didn't work for me. And that was one of them. So Patrick Dempsey's character really likes his very sad divorce lawyer job. And he's constantly grading against Giselle. And I would have loved to see more textured development in that area. Maybe he goes up against her really, really hard. And then she kind of warms him up to the idea that, well, no, she is an actual princess. Maybe he sees her singing, sees all the critters. Like, I thought he did in the first act. Like, that doesn't rock your world? The fact that she can sing and these animals obey her? You know? He has these legitimate hesitations. These very legitimate hesitations that just last a little too long. Like she's like, okay, she's mentally ill. She, she's deluded. And I'm like, oh, I totally agree. If I was him, I would have totally thought that as well. But I don't know. They just play it for too long. I'm like, yeah, I'm in New York. What's this woman doing here? I am now going to uh, disagree with you because do I do think that uh, the mundane of New York is kind of the whole point of the movie uh, because otherwise it wouldn't show us that Giselle is the right person uh, for this gloomy, sad man. Um, mm. Every scene that she's in, she brings fantasy and life and vibrancy to. Mm. And as a result, it makes her a more desirable person for this sad guy. I think that making New York a boring place and saying, I want to go back to the fantasy world is an okay feeling when watching this movie. It's different in a movie like The Smurfs, which I believe literally does star James Marsden. And he finds these Smurfs and they're navigating the world and New York City is super boring. Can we please go back to Smurfland? In this case, the whole point is that Giselle is bringing her world to New York and making it more vibrant and more lively as a result, uh, sometimes in very funny ways, sometimes in very genuine ways. Uh, and because it's a romance, the transformation that uh, Giselle brings upon New York City coincides with the transformation in her relationship uh, with Robert Phillip, which I can't get over being the most generic name possible. Yeah. But um, he might as well have been called John Doe. Really? He, I think John Doe actually would have been a better name. Because I don't know many people in movies that are actually named that name. That's true. But, Giselle could have played off that. Doe? Oh, we had those back in where I come from. I don't know. <laughs> but do you see what I'm getting at here? Like, because it's a romance, um, it, it makes more sense. And the fish out of water things are there, but it's less just for the sake of fish out of water and more about because she is in this world and transforming this world, she's also transforming this guy who she's winning over, or mm. he has to win over at the end, I guess. You raise a good point, unfortunately. I think there are, as you were talking, I was thinking about, there's being actually a lot of cinematic parallels they could have done between Robert Phillip and <laughs> Giselle. Like, think about it. One of the most interesting animation choices that I thought they did back in the fantasy land was having Giselle being stuck in this room. But she's not like Rapunzel. She doesn't have to be there, but she chooses to. She's just hanging out, thirsting for a guy, and talking to her sisters from other mistas. Oh, I'm sorry. She doesn't have other women in her life. She just has animals. <laughs> but 
but there's Cinderella. Yeah, yeah, but she's stuck in this room, and you could say it's a budgetary choice. You only have to worry about set, set decorating a single location and lighting that, and you're pretty much set. But then I thought about it and said, but that also works on a narrative level. Robert Phillip lives in his apartment and his job, and he's kind of just stuck there. But unlike Giselle, who yearns for someone else in her life, Robert Phillip yearns for no one else in his life. He's perfectly fine with his daughter, thank you very much, and he prefers to stay away. It's not, for him, it's not a place where he longs to be away from. It's a place, it's a refuge, it's an escape. And I think there's a lot of parallels between the two of them they could have emphasized more. Hmm. Aside from just, Robert hate magic, hate fantasy, Giselle, love happy, don't know New York. You know, it just, like, those are the most obvious things. But then as their relationship would have progressed, I I feel like there would have been a bit more uh, uh, flavor to it. One thing, one addition to it, is Adina Menzel. I, you hinted at this earlier. I do like the fact that, oh, Prince Charming's actually really good for her. Like, I, that was great. Yeah. But I didn't like the whole, oh my gosh, I've caught Robert Phillip with Giselle. Giselle's in a towel. Oh, he's cheating on yeah, me. That was stupid. So here's, here's my pitch to you, James. I would have kept, uh, what's her character? Nancy Tremaine. Okay, already a better name than Robert Phillip. I mean, so come much on. better. Right? Here's what I would have done. I would have made Robert Phillip Robert Tremaine, and I would have made them brother and sister. His sister acts as an emphasis. She's the antithesis of his daughter. His daughter want, yearns for him to embrace Giselle, and she yearns for him to go away from it, to reject monkey and embrace tradition, you know? Oh, I know him. why. I have a good narrative <laughs> reason why she could be okay. his sister. Maybe their parents were divorced and she doesn't want him going through the same pain. Hmm. She's a New York, you know, she's a single New York entrepreneur, yeah. go-getter, just like him. Yeah. And they both know that divorce bad. Um, I do agree. <laughs> I think that that would be better. And I think Adina Menzel's role is very confusing in this movie because she doesn't embody anti-love because she's his girlfriend. Yeah. And he's going to be proposing to her soon. It's just, it takes a little bit away from it. And it, I don't know if she exists just to give Prince Edward someone to wind up with or to add more friction between Giselle and Robert. But I feel like they didn't need the friction because like you said before, the building blocks were already there. He's a divorce lawyer. She's a whimsical Disney princess. Like that's already enough like to butt heads. We don't need, yeah, we don't need to muddy the waters even more. I think what we need to do is add texture to what's already there. Yeah. And what Nancy, first off, Nancy Tremaine, Tremaine, that's a more lawyery name. So just give <laughs> Robert the name Tremaine as well. Robert Tremaine. That already sounds like a divorce lawyer name. Mr. Tremaine. You know, I don't know. It's it just, anyway, anyway, <laughs> the point, once again, you and I are writing a better movie, even though Enchanted is not a terrible movie. Uh, but Nancy, her arc through this, if you can call it that, what is her function as in the plot? I well, don't know. she's talked about, she's not introduced. Our first impression of her is when, uh, Robert tells about her to his daughter. So it's implied she's never even met this daughter. And then when she finally appears, our first impression of her is at the worst moment of her life when she thinks that her boyfriend slash almost fiance is cheating on her. So right away, we're not off to a great start. We're told about her. Then we see her reacting very negatively. We don't get a chance to like this character. We don't see her again until uh, Giselle and Robert get closer. And uh, at Giselle's leadings, uh, she sends a flowery heart to Nancy. And Nancy forgives Robert, which was cool, I think. I I don't know. Uh, She decides to give Robert the benefit of the doubt, even though they haven't had much of a relationship that we've seen. She kind of forgives him, says he can keep hanging out with Giselle, and then we don't see her again until the finale. So there's really not much to do other than add friction, and then it gets let go so he can keep seeing Giselle. If she was his sister, we could have cut out that conflict entirely, and instead she could have added more weight on scenes where she was present. She could also be very accommodating and warm to Giselle, but it's kind of a front because she thinks Giselle is crazy. Robert thinks so too. Robert then sees the whimsy that 
Giselle is bringing not just to his daughter, but also to him. But Nancy doesn't see that because she doesn't live with him. She doesn't live with Giselle. She isn't seeing all this. But then over time, as Giselle's influence and impact grows, Nancy so too sees that change. And as she occupies Robert to the ball because Giselle is long gone, so Robert needs a partner. So he decides, well, I guess my sister will have to do as my, you know, whatever plus one. Uh, Then, because she could see Prince Charming, and her arc, in a way, could mirror Robert's, although yeah. a bit more of an extreme one. That's good. That's very good. I, I, I like this movie a lot. I have another hunch about Adina Menzel. Talk to me. Um, and why she exists in this movie. Um, there's, a brief, uh, there's a brief glimpse of a large, wicked billboard hmm. uh, in Times Square whenever Amy Adams emerges from the, the crawl space. Uh, and Adina Menzel was in Wicked for quite a while in the early 2000s. And I feel like this was her foot in the door with Disney. Hmm. Um, but she didn't sing at all in this movie. So I don't know why. I still, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know why her. She it's did an weird. Okay job. I, I, I always felt just because I'm a movie critic and movie buff doesn't mean I know everything about film. And the impression I had was, oh, Adina Menzel and Disney really became close after the first Frozen movie. But this is clearly not the case. Maybe she wasn't super close with Disney, but she was in a Disney film six years before Frozen. Six yeah. years. You know, she, I don't know. So it's kind of weird seeing her in there because she feels more of a modern celebrity for Disney than mm-hmm. a, a, a one that's been around for a while. But man, like, all right, sure. Um. And you're right, James, transitioning from acting into filming and vice versa is difficult. Um, something we learned at film school is when you're working with actors in theater, specifically when we were working with theater majors in our films, you have to direct them not to be so expressive, get their eyes bulging out, their, their body kind of reacting in a more um, vibrant way than normal people would. Uh, with filming, you're acting, but you're acting to the camera. When you're acting on stage, you are acting to the people in the far back row. The same is true with public speaking. Your body language, your expressions are meant to convey that across the room. So it's very different philosophy, very different practice. Uh, is Indina Menzel a good actress? I think she is in this movie. Hard to say. I wasn't looking for that. But I was like, oh, Indina. Okay, bye. I hope we'll see her again. Oh, nope. Oh, we see. Okay. Oh, it's the end of the movie. You know, yeah. that's kind of how I felt. Speaking of, before end we keep... movie. <laughs> I want to get to the end of the movie, but first I just want to mention something positive. The side characters, namely Nathaniel. I love Nathaniel's arc. Me too. Because I wasn't expecting it, but then it just made so much sense. He was watching television, him and the prince, and I was like, okay, Nathaniel's a schemer. He's going to backstab them. But then he watches the sitcom. He's like, no. Turn the channel back. Turn the channel back. And then he sees this sitcom basically talking about not being used by a powerful woman who's abusive and toxic. I was just like, oh, that's Mm, fun. There you go. (laughs) And then he writes a book in the post credit scene. Yeah. Also, I love that he can just disguise himself as a modern Italian pizzeria owner and know exactly what to do, like how to be that person. In the moment, in order to poison Giselle, it's just so absurd, and I love it. In a world and a culture that he has never before been in, he just, I don't know. (laughs) It's really Uh, fun. I love his actor, uh, Timothy Spall. Timothy Spall does a good job, and the fact that they gave Nathaniel some dignity was not something I was expecting, but it was more than welcome. And even Pip, Pip goes through a small arc, not really... Yeah, I wouldn't say an arc, but he has something to work on, which is he loses the ability to speak because in the real world, animals don't speak and the rules of that world apply to him. And Mm -hmm. he has to gesture and even his gestures get hilariously misinterpreted by Prince Edward, which by the way, James Marsden has my favorite performance because he, I I will have the hottest take. Uh, James Marsden walked so Chris Hemsworth could run when it came to playing the lovable himbo. Like, James Marsden huh. d- did it first and he did it better Yeah, because just the smile, the boyishness of like, 
sure, let's go on a date. And like, what? I don't, I don't understand. You know, the fact that Giselle's grown enough to say, before we get married, let's go on a date first. And then she learns he's not that deep <laughs> Yep, was such a great, but simple way. They were like, no, let's not have her reject him or say we're through. Let's just have her go on a date first with him. You know, I thought that was well done. I agree. I think they very easily could have had the prince say, no, I will have no otherworldly conventions with you. Let's get married right now. And then they get into an argument and that's how they fall apart. Like, boo, that's typical and boring. Let's see them go on the date and see how it plays out like adults. Yeah. Uh, More scenes like that in this movie would have made it much better. I do agree. Um, My my biggest issue, which we were talking about earlier in the non-spoiler section, actually... I think is different from your biggest issue Um, in the plot. That is evil queen. Uh, If she, if, if Giselle is in love with, with Robert, then why does the evil queen need to kill her at this point? Mm. Because she's evil, I guess. But if, if Giselle is already in love with someone else and doesn't want to marry Prince Edward anymore, then she can just leave and the movie will be over. We got to get that third act finale. Yeah. Let's talk about, okay. Before I say my brilliant idea for how we would rewrite this, how I would rewrite the ending, because I have an idea to make it more powerful, and to take the evil queen who already has some use and make her even more useful and evil, you said to me, James, that you you could tell the part of the third act I didn't like. I want you to try and guess what that is. Um, I honestly thought it was, it was the fact that um, the evil queen had no reason to kill Giselle, mm. but decided to anyway for no reason. But, that uh, was an, that was an issue that you brought up that I was like, oh, actually, that's a good point. She could have just for, left. She was like, oh, she loves someone else. Okay, cool. Me and Edward will go home. For me, it was the dragon. Yeah. I mean, you you had to see it coming from the beginning, right? Eh. She turned into a dragon in the first act. You have to know. Like, we're getting that dragon fight on a, t- on a skyscraper. Honestly, there was a lot going on in that animation. There was a pillar of fire, and I was like, oh, she exploded for no reason. I didn't even catch that she became a dragon. Ah. Uh, that foreshadowing completely went over my head and was That's never a Snow really White reference or no, okay. sorry. Wow. It's no, a sleeping beauty. That's sleeping beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I would have done for the finale. And Tell yes, me. I know the story is about fantasy coming over into reality. And so the dragon is kind of a culmination of that. Here's what I would have done. Maybe a little differently. James, your issue was the evil queen. And unfortunately, she does have her uses. She's the reason Nathaniel is an active antagonist while she's in the background. She gives them the poison apples. She's the one that starts this whole movie. So she's necessary to the plot. Yeah. Here's what I would have done differently. I feel like she is so petty and so reprehensible. I think she could have already had the knife in, but she would have twisted it a little bit more. So I'm going to take an old idea that we threw out for a rewrite and bring it back in. She shapeshifts into a younger, beautiful version of herself, forces herself on Robert in a way where, out of context, as Giselle walks in, it seems like Robert is seeing another person. Giselle's perception on love is shattered. She's broken, doesn't know what to do with herself. She walks away, and the evil queen kind of wipes her hands clean and moves on. Or we can still have her dragon, but... yeah. I feel like having there being some kind of emotional oof to it um, that really also puts the tension on Giselle in a world that is, as the queen puts so well, there are no happily ever afters. You know, I think that would have driven that nail home. But instead, the queen is never really a emotional threat. She's just a physical one. She's just like, I'll shoot lightning and turn into a dragon and well in this iteration of the plot we didn't need an emotional threat because we had adina menzel posing as the, the romantic competition yeah. the way i would have rewritten this to avoid Talk to me um to avoid my plot contrivancy which is why didn't the evil queen just walk away after giselle fell in love with someone else that wasn't a prince yeah she we could just emphasize a little more her distaste for giselle specifically like mm. maybe Somehow Giselle and Prince Edward were meant to be, and she does everything within her power to hide Giselle from Prince Edward. And then whenever Giselle finally does find love in the real world with Robert, the queen is just petty 
and she is like, I want to make you hurt more. So uh, eat this poison apple and you can still keep all that. I think it would have been interesting for Nathaniel to be privy to her plans going off that of like Nathaniel thought it was just, oh, make sure that Giselle can never come back and get married. So Nathaniel's on board, but then he learns, oh, no, it's much deeper than that. She wants Giselle to suffer endlessly. She will not stop meddling in Giselle's life. And the television show could be the catalyst. But then he starts to realize, oh, my gosh, the person I'm working for is just truly evil. You know? Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I I think he has already enough motivation, but just adding that extra layer to your Mm -hmm. idea would have really, uh, I don't know. I, I think that could have been more meaningful. Last thing I'll say about the third act before I have a final question for you, Daniel, unless you had another thought. No, go for it. One thing I do appreciate about the dragon scene is that they don't stick around for very long. It's pretty short. They don't make it big and flashy. Um, And the victory is not like a giant CG fest. You know, there's not sword fighting and jumping and swinging around and craziness. It's just a, a parallel from uh from the beginning of the movie where the princess catches the prince yeah which was pretty neat and nice the other thing about the dragon though i feel like it could have looked more like a real dragon but they didn't want it to look like a real dragon so they gave it woman eyes and a small mouth and it made it even scarier somehow in a a very unintentional way i think it's kind of like nightmare fuel from a youtube video kind of (laughs) because let me turn into a creepypasta like the original creature designer was like yeah let's make it look like the the um the dragon from sleeping beauty give it yellow reptilian eyes and a lot wide gaping mouth but then the producer was probably like ah that's too creepy let's give her human looking eyes and a little tiny weird mouth with kind of not pointy teeth and it turns out being scarier than before somehow to me huh but um that's true yeah did you have any have any additional thoughts about the dragon or about the third act uh no, I guess I feel like a fool. I the foreshadowing at the beginning, I felt there was something meaningful about it, but I just felt it was the queen showing off her power by exploding in anger. And I was like, uh, oh, okay, okay. Right. <laughs> well, it is a, I, it is a pretty key detail if you don't want to get blindsided by dragon stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. Between that and the small subplot that I overlooked in our Stranger Things season four review, I, I think <laughs> I need to work on my perception skills quite a bit. <laughs> I went back and listened to that Stranger Things bit, and I was just the shock in your voice. You were like, oh, I never saw that. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, no. This is going to change some things about a certain character. Listen, hey, this is why we review movies. We help one another out, especially <laughs> if one of us can't tell foreshadowing apart from a random scene. Yeah. Like, okay, that was weird, I guess. And you're like, oh, no, like you didn't get it? Like, it's a very important detail. I'm like, oh, <laughs> which I don't know. Listen, I don't know how many of you have listened to our Stranger Things review and know what we're talking about. But in case you're doing this, I just want to say that revelation was actually I was like, oh, they actually did a really good job of keeping that subtle and not on the nose. And I'm like, well, well done. Like, I don't know. Just. Oh, nice. It's it good. It's well done. I, I I was very thrown off guard by myself in that review. Yeah. So, well, that's I don't good. Wanna... I'm glad I'm glad you come to feel that way after a while. Because I, yeah, I, I do agree. I think it, it was a good thing about Stranger Things, which is not Enchanted. I don't know no, what we're was, talking about it here, but... It was well done. I would have done it the same way. I just... I was an idiot, and I did not... I did not pick up on that. So... Yeah. Uh, but to emphasize that and to say, oh, well, I guess I feel this way about it now, it felt too sudden in our review, so I didn't want to... I didn't want to go into it there. But... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Just, just wanted some closure on that, but... That's yeah, good. Overall, yeah. I don't know. I guess my final thoughts are... Enchanted is not the worst film. If you like it, great. But I, I do think there could have been some small things that could have made it better and a bit more cleaned up. For sure. And I really like your ideas, too. Um, in mildly related news, I was just reading on IMDb about this movie, and in the related movies, there was one called Disenchanted, oh. which comes out in November. Oh. And the plot line is, 10 years after her happily ever after, Giselle questions her happiness, inadvertently turning the lives of those in the real world and Andalasia upside down in the process what do you think daniel i think it'll be a disney plus exclusive so maybe we should check it out yeah one of the best parts about enchanted is it is a reprieve from modern disney trademark Uh (laughs) and i am not at all excited for modern disney to take their slimy 
filthy <laughs> hands and wipe it all over their movies. They did that with all their classic animated movies. They said, let's, let's crapify the CG and make the characters less interesting. And it just, there's the cost is too great. People get hyped for these and I'm like, no, please, please. No, please. Dear God. Why? Why do you massacre my boy? Or in this case, my girl, my queen. And so I am so sorry to hear that. And if we review it, which you guys should totally let us know on our platforms if we should, but I, I am not excited for that. You have my vote on wanting to review it because I think it will be a great follow-up because this is, this is a large gap. You know, this is 2007 mm. Disney versus 2022. I feel like <sighs> good conversations can be had here. So okay. our friend Milan, thank you so much for re- recommending this movie two years ago. We hear you and we had your recommendation written down and now we're doing it. So thanks Milan and also uh, everyone else. Let us know if you think a disenchanted review uh, should be in the works. Some of the cast looks pretty fun. Some of the images from the sets look pretty interesting. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how they do. Absolutely. And Milan had to wait two years for us to review his movie. But I hope you guys realize that any movie recommendation you give us, whether it's now, whether it was years ago, has not gone on un- has not gone unnoticed. We hear you. We listen to it. And when we do plan out our episodes in advance we do take your recommendations into consideration because James and I, we have very similar tastes. They're not exactly the same, but they're quite similar. And so your recommendations help us branch out and really help enrich these conversations. So thank you. Well, guys, we're Daniel and James. And you've been listening to Casually Critical. And always remember to eat the wrapper wrapper with with your candy. candy.